Well, we're thankful this morning. We start a series of services that begin this morning. We'll continue tonight at 5.30, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night at 7. We call them our spring revival meetings. And our emphasis this year is just on renewal. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the outward man perisheth, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And uh, we know that as we wait upon the Lord that we can be renewed in our spirit, in our faith, in our desires. And we're so thankful today to have Dr. Wayne Van Gelder with us. He is the longtime senior pastor of Falls Baptist Church. I'm the president and founder of Baptist College Ministry, located out of that church, the local church ministry, training laborers for the harvest and doing great work for God in the northern area of our country and reaching souls for Christ. We, we support a missionary out of their church, the Rains family, which is, which is over in Kenya. We've had his son Daniel with us, who's representing the college, and Daniel will be back later this year. But I'm so thankful to have Dr. Van Gelderen with us. The Lord has used him to uh, just if I can say it this way, to, to, stir, to have a spirit of revival that's stirring through our country, an emphasis on, uh, on prayer. Uh, he has a, he's a conferences that he holds entitled On Bended Knee that has been a blessing. Every year their church uh, hosts a major conference entitled their Victory Conference or Triumphal, Triumphal Conference, which is being used to help uh, draw preachers and churches together for revival. And you're going to catch the heart of a local church pastor this, this week who loves God, who loves his church, who desires to see revival prosper, desires to see souls saved, churches started, more mysteries being sent out, everything that embodies what we're trying to do here at Heritage Baptist Church. And uh, we, we kind of talked over a year ago about coming together, and God worked this calendar out for us to be here, uh, for him to be with us this week. And we're delighted he's here. Dr. Van Gelder, we're honored you're here. Come preach the word of God to us. Amen? Amen. Very thankful for the opportunity here today to be able to speak to you. I have... Uh, heard much about this church. My son Daniel came back about a year ago and uh, just enjoyed his time here immensely. And then we had the privilege of having your pastor for our Victory Conference a year and a half ago, and uh, what a tremendous blessing he was. And then we put him on the spot and had him come for our stewardship banquet. And uh, uh, he did a great job there and spoke to, while he was there, spoke to our young people at a parent-teen retreat. So uh, we have very much benefited uh, from his ministry. I told him when I came up here, I feel at home. I just appreciate the spirit here. I've been greatly challenged by your pastor just for the love for souls. And our, our leadership there has greatly profited from that and from that example. So it is a real honor and joy. I appreciate the music. What a blessing. It uh, has been very refreshing, and my heart is encouraged. Well, I want to speak to you not only this morning, but throughout these days on truths that we have heard, but often we forget. In World War II, a lot of things happened in Europe, and so governments were pretty uh, much... uh, disassembled during that time, and certainly Greece was one of those countries that uh, were ravaged by the problems of World War II, and so uh, the head of the Air Force there took over for a period of time, and during his dictatorship, uh, he built up the uh, equipment of the Air Force, as you can imagine. That was his love and passion, and so he got uh, the latest plane that had the equipment on it that was uh, high-tech in those days. It was a hydroplane. Of course, Greece is a peninsula, so that uh, was real exciting to them. And so he had his uh, top uh, commander in the Air Force uh, learn how to fly the plane, and so they went up finally, and he wanted to enjoy that. And so they took off out of the bay there near the military air base and uh, 
flew around, and uh, the dictator was pretty awed by what he what, what he saw, and he he said, "Let me fly this." Well, the man was a little bit nervous, the commander, because he. Uh, uh, this was a little bit different than the kind of planes that the dictator had flown before, but he, of course, what are you going to say to a dictator? But yes, your excellency. So uh, he turned over the controls to him, and he, he did a good job. And he said, I want to land this thing. Now the commander got nervous, so he starts coming down, coming down. And then to the horror of the pilot, uh, he was going to the military airfield. He had forgotten it was a hydroplane. And so in the most dignified but urgent language he could tell the dictator, Sir, don't you think it would be best for us since it's a hydroplane to land in the water? And boy, they pulled that thing back out and gave over the controls to the pilot. He circled around and landed in the water. They both laid back in their chairs. Perspiration was uh, coming off of their faces there. And the dictator said, I can't believe that I forgot this was a hydroplane. And he opened the door and promptly stepped into the water. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of good things, folks, that we know but forget. And I'm just going to bear my heart to you this morning. We need to see God work. But we need to be careful of just praying in general for revival. Revival starts with us. Lord, would you... Speak to us today. Lord, we just want only that which you would have said here today. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. But Lord, with you, we can have our lives changed and transformed. Would you be with these dear people? Lord, give me the words to say from your word now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great moves of God in America, a lot of people don't know about. You may have heard the named Shubal Stearns. Back in the middle of the 1800s, God got a hold of this man. He was a preacher, and he moved down to North Carolina. Daniel Marshall was uh, his assistant, and these men had personal revival. There in North Carolina, in not a large community, they had a move of God that brought 600 people into that church. That was an amazing thing. But what was more amazing, the power of God was so on that movement that uh, in the next 25 years, directly from that church, 1,000 church plants occurred. Ever heard the term Bible Belt? That's where that came from. But it came at the beginning through a few people meeting with God. We've all heard of the great Welsh revival, and this is a very familiar illustration, but one that I think very much points to what I want to deal with here today. A newspaper man came from London to Wales because he wanted to report on this mighty move of God, and it was a mighty move of God across that country. And so when he got there and arrived, uh, he asked a policeman where the Welsh revival was going on. And drawing himself up to his full height, he laid his hand over his heart and proudly proclaimed, Gentlemen, the Welsh revival is inside this uniform. And I want to submit to you that if we're going to see God work in this great church in California and across this country, revival's got to 
begin right inside of each one of us. What is revival? Well, in the very word revival, we get the definition. Revival is vive, life, re, again. It is the life of Jesus Christ again dominating our life. Remember when you first got saved? Wasn't it precious when Jesus saved you? Well, unfortunately, many believers get away from that great relationship with the Lord. And revival is when Christ's very life again begins to dominate. It's not a feeling, though there are feelings. It's not an experience, though there are experiences. My friends, revival is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. R.B. Jones, who was a great historian with the Welsh Revival, said, if one were to were asked to describe in a word the outstanding feature of those days of revival, one would unhesitatingly reply, now listen to this, that it was the universal, inescapable sense of the presence of God. The universal, inescapable sense of the presence of God. A.W. Tozer, who many of you have probably read, great beloved writer on revival, said, The practice of the presence of God consists not of projecting an imaginary object within one's own minds and trying to realize His presence. And a lot of Christians do try to do it that way. It is rather to recognize the presence of the One whom all sound theology declares to be already there. How many of you know Christ as your Savior? May you raise your hand. Are you glad about that? All right. Did you know that God is in you? He's in you, the Spirit of the living God. And the Spirit's main purpose is to manifest the life of Jesus Christ. Do you realize the potential here in this auditorium this morning? We have God in everyone who sincerely raised their hand, and He is ready to bring us into an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's revival. Folks, Christ is real. He's not a concept. He's not just theology, though theology is based on the Word of God is very important. He's a person. And he very much wants to have a genuine, dynamic relationship with you. We often quote the Great Commission. I know that's dear to your hearts here. How does it end? I am. Let me emphasize that again. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world or this age. Amen. He is with us. And so, folks, I want to this morning speak on personal revival. I want us to understand that you, not somebody over here, or a preacher, or a deacon, or a leader in this church, but you can actually practice the presence of God. You can live in a genuine, real, supernatural relationship with the Creator of this universe. And that's what God very much wants. Turn with me to a precious passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as we look at the need of the, uh, as you look at the need of the culture around us to have the glorious 
gospel of Christ come to them. Now look closely at these verses. We'll read beginning in verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them, uh, them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now note this verse. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Thank you. You may be seated. Three things I want us to see here today as we think of personal revival being Christ. It's all about, folks, reaching this world. And so our first very important truth we want to get today is the darkness of our culture. The darkness of our culture has to be broken by the light of Jesus Christ through us, but the problem is the darkness of the culture that needs to be penetrated has found its way very much into the church of the living God. The darkness of the culture. Look with me back at verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan has done a unbelievable job in using different aspects of culture to be able to blind people from seeing the truth. I want to just quickly touch on those because I think it's important for us to see it and realize what that means to us. Satan uses the world system. As you know, there are two words that are translated world in the New Testament that speak of the satanic control over our culture over society. That would be the word that we translate sometimes age, and then cosmos, the organized work of Satan to organize culture to keep people away from God. Now, let me just give you a thought here. God created man in his image. God created man to be indwelt by him and to have a unified relationship with him. But sin came into the equation. I'm going to read from Ian Thomas, who has a tremendous perspective on this, speaking of the difference between animals and mankind. So animals are like human beings that they have a soul. They're living and a capacity to think, react, and decide. God, however, did not create animals with the capacity to be inhabited by their creator, as man was. Instead, God built into animals a unique and wonderful mechanism called instinct. If you've ever studied uh, migration of birds or all of the different uh, species, it is amazing the instinct that God has placed into them. I don't believe you can really hold on to evolution and really study the marvelous 
programming that God has put into his creation. So God has shown his care for his creation by building into it instinct. And this is how he governs their behavior and protects them. Now note this, instinct is indispensable to animals in the same way that the Holy Spirit is indispensable to us in our humanity. You see, God created us without instinct. You think about it, mothers. The instinct to actually feed and a couple other things are all that babies have. You could not put a baby in your nest and expect the baby to make it, right? (laughs) No, they do not have instinct. They are made to be indwelt and have a oneness of relationship with God. God has made us for that. And my friends, man without God is truly lost. Let me go on here. Human beings are uniquely made with the capacity to be governed by God himself, dwelling within the human spirit in intimate identity with the human soul so that God within the human spirit gains access to the human soul. There he plays that role in man's soul, which instinct plays in the animal, teaching the mind, controlling the emotions, and directing the will. In this way, according to his intended design and purpose, he governs our behavior and... And he goes on and talks about all that he does. All right, here's what I want you to get. When we sinned against God and man became spiritually dead, now thankfully God brought Adam and Eve back into faith, but where does man turn if they do not have a relationship with God? To the God of this world. Do not be thrown by the fact that people think and act the way they do. You see, Satan steps in because a person isn't looking to God, and he has constructed culture so to meet their need, to give them purpose, to show them how to live, how to think, what to believe. All of these things are the substitute for God. That's why he's called the God of this world. And so... They're blinded. They are blinded. How many of you came to know the Lord after you were 18 years of age? Can I see your hands? I know a number of you were. Were you blinded before you were saved? Yeah, testimony after testimony. Satan is very, very amazing in his ability to bring darkness in. Now, let me just give you quickly... Uh, a couple of the categories in which he blinds. First of all, religion and philosophy. Uh, do not we face that all the time? And what's the essence of religion? Self-dependence. Self-works, self-intellect, hu- uh, even philosophy, humanism. It's all about what man can do. Then there's culture and society. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Note this. Among whom also we had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." Folks, the reason we are so burdened about pop culture is because it is Satan's tool. 
not just trying to pick on, quote-unquote, the world. You see, it's all about man gratifying himself. It's all about man going against the law of God. It's all about man having the wrong kind of relationships, the wrong kind of thinking. And so Satan has taken culture and caused people to live for themselves and to fulfill their desires and to be in a place in which they are far away from thinking about God. So he manipulates all aspects of culture. Remember in 1 John chapter 2, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And so he has per- perverted culture. Now, now, folks, culture in itself is neutral. You have different uh, countries, different cultures. But you've got to understand, there is no neutral culture as far as it's in its entirety. The vast majority of every culture has been designed by Satan to keep people away from God. That's why missionaries are not trying to Americanize another country. They are endeavoring to Christianize another country. And so we, Pastor Fong and I, are missionaries to the United States. And we want you to come into a victorious life of knowing Christ and living according to the Word of God. But friends, you look at from entertainment to all the things that are parts of technology, uh, all of the, the different priorities of life, I could spend an entire message on that. And Satan has constructed that to keep us away from God. Even in the matter of government, uh, how people approach government, and how the battles in government, and you look at different moves of God and how Satan has used government to squash them such as happening now in, in uh, China, in North Korea, and so forth. It's a constant battle. Satan uses government. Look at Daniel chapter 10. There was the demon that was in, over Medo-Persia. There was the demon that was over Greece. Uh, and, uh, and so there's very much a spiritual battle. Folks, we have to wake up. We're not living in a neutral day. You are not walking the streets of a neutral society. You are not in a place that's just a vacuum. We are so used to a Judeo-Christian ethic within America, and we, and so we've been a little numb to the fact that the the world has always been a tool of Satan to endeavor people to worship God because they have to have a God to be able to survive. And we just have allowed this to come and to surround us, permeate us, and we become very numb to the great tools of Satan all around us. And that's why American Christianity, folks, is in real trouble. Because Satan has got a hold on us. And we don't even know it. So what's the object here of what Satan is doing? Well, obviously, to blind, to keep the light of the gospel from their hearts, to keep away that men, mankind can actually have the one who created them, lead them, guide them, meet the need of their heart, flood them with his love. And so it's all about Satan versus Christ. Satan does not want people to wake up to who he truly is. But oh, it's wonderful. I've just heard John Wickham. He's one of the creation leaders of the past generation. He's in his 90s. And he gave his testimony how he was an atheist humanist at Princeton University. And somebody gave him the gospel, prayed for him, and all of a sudden it hit him. The light came in from a godly 
fellow student, and he got saved. And think of how blessed we have been. God can do that. But it's got to come through the life of believers who understand the reality of what's going on today. We are living in Satan's world, and he's meeting the needs of people as a substitute for Christ. And we need to be jealous for Christ's sake about this. And we need to be so knowing Christ that we can be the light of the world. So the problem, folks, and I want you to get this. It's not just the world that's blinded. And number two, it's not this, not just the darkness of culture, it's the danger of the believer in imbibing in the darkness of the culture. Now, folks, when a carnal Christian is not led by the Spirit of God, has known sin, as we talked about in our Sunday school hour, has bitterness and doesn't even realize it and grieving the Holy Spirit, if there are things in their life that are not right, wrong priorities, self-will, rebellion against what God wants, Satan does for the Christian what God wants to do for the Christian. Teenager, who are you looking to to lead your life? Well, you wouldn't admit, I hope, to having Satan be the one who's leading you, but if it's not a genuine, real relationship with Jesus, there's only one other major category, and that's satanic leadership. That's why you see rebellion with teens. That's why you see it with young adults. That's why you see it with businessmen that have so much going for them, and they are saved, and they're in a good church, but they aren't going on for God. It's because they're walking outside of a real relationship, and guess who is calling the shots in their life? It's not pleasant to think about, is it? Let me just say, folks, I've been there. But think how that grieves God. Now, self-dependence. I've already been alluding to this, and we'll talk about this a lot throughout these days. We become very vulnerable if we are self-dependent, if we're trusting our abilities. You may not be involved in major sin, but if you are not walking in dependence upon God and His Word is not precious to you and you are not seeking Him, spending major time in prayer with the Lord, that's the only way you can be dependent upon Him. Be in the Word and then spend significant time with the Lord. Then even your good works are not pleasing God because they are not of God. James Stewart, who was the last great revivalist of the Western culture, uh, Eastern Europe, had a the greatest revival, one of the greatest ever in the history of the world, but we don't know much about it. Do you know why? Stalin came from the East, Hitler from the West, and wiped it out. That's how big the battle is, folks. But James Stewart, who saw entire cities come to God, he was a Baptist, independent Baptist, uh, who... Uh, had a great impact here in America. 
He says this, We live in a day characterized by the multiplication of man's machinery and the diminution of God's power. The great cry of our day, and he's, of course, speaking several decades back, is work, work, work. New organizations, new methods, new machinery. The great need of our day is prayer. It was a master stroke of the devil when he got the church to generally lay aside this mighty weapon of prayer. And it goes on to talk about he's, Satan's more than glad to let us be organized, and we need to be organized. But what are we depending upon? And so if we are not in an active, dependent relationship upon with God, we are more led by this culture than we know. Now, folks, a lot of strong evangelicals and fundamentalists are more led by culture that's dominated by Satan than we know. No wonder we don't have power. God can still build His church. God can still do miracles. God could just absolutely radically change San Leandro and this entire area if we would believe God. He is ready to do it. But we're more infected by this than we want to admit. Now, remember, revival is the life of Christ, not about what you can do for Christ. The second thing in this matter of uh, the danger is love for the world, and I've already touched on it. James chapter 4 says, Adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Christians in good churches like this don't even realize it, but their self-will and their following the pursuits of normal uh, uh, American life have actually put them in a in opposition to God's purposes. My friends, when people begin to understand who Christ is and understand that living is all about serving Him, understand the spiritual battle, they begin to wake up to it. And when there are enough people that allow God to break their will and they begin to walk with Him, everything changes. Well, we need to make some very strong decisions. We're not going to have anything to do with the one that's the enemy of our Savior. Can I speak to you from my heart? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you cannot love the world. You cannot love the world. There's no in-between. God spews lukewarm Christianity out of his mouth. The love of the Father is not in him, as I quoted from 1 John chapter 2. Now, please listen to this statement. Do not think that just because our lives are consistent and we're somewhat faithful because of what God has done in changing us over the years, that at the present we're truly godly and spirit-filled. A lot of people think I'm okay. I don't do a lot of things that other people do, and I'm faithful to church. But my friend, if you're not experiencing personal revival, that's what the Holy Spirit does, then you're not spirit-filled, and therefore you are pulled by the other spirit. Now, my purpose this morning is to shake you up a little bit. I hope you'll come back, even though I'm sort of uh, doing this. Uh, but I, I want us to think. 
Are you disturbed about what's happening in our country today? Are you disturbed what's happening across Christianity today? Well, I tell you, this church that knows that God's work, that sees people saved, ought to be a church that rises up and said, that's it. We are loyal to Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. I love Him. And I'm going to get anything out of my life that's going to stop me from having a precious relationship with Him. No, you're not godly and spirit-filled, if I can say that respectfully, by being faithful. And I thank God for faithful people. It's God that makes you godly. It's the Spirit that fills you, not your character. Now, let me just encourage you that sin does not have to have dominion over us, Romans chapter 6. And as much as you may be in patterns of life that you say, wow, I tell you, just to be fully free and to have victory, um, it just seems like I'm in such a rut. Well, it's so wonderful to know, folks, 2,000 years ago when Christ died, we just celebrated it. You were there. You were in Christ. When he was buried, you were there. When he rose from the dead, that was your resurrection. And when he ascended, you were positionally in him. And my friends, every one of us, through our salvation and our identification with Christ because of the sealing and the indwelling of the Spirit of God, are have the full victory of the newness of life that Jesus Christ has purchased for us. There's not a second-rate believer in this building. There's not a believer that's past has, has caused them not to be able to have great impact today. There's not a person here that has compromised so much with the world over the years that there's no hope for you to be a, a, a Christian that is separated unto Christ. Every Christian here has the full work of Jesus Christ already as your inheritance. It's a matter of by faith understanding it and believing it. Oh, I love, uh, Romans 6, 6, it talks about the fact that we are, that our old man is dead. I'm a new man. I still have the flesh, but that body of sin has been, it says destroyed. Probably the better way to translate that is rendered ineffective. I still have the flesh. But I am created in righteousness and true holiness. I'm a new creation. The Holy Spirit indwells me. And I'm telling you, my fleshly nature, when God's in control and my spirit is under his control, it's like an atomic bomb versus a pea shooter. I'll have victory every time. Folks, the victory that is that is potential is just glorious. That's what Christ did and how it must grieve Him at the throne to see us living such anemic and sin-filled lives. It's because we're following the wrong God. We're being influenced by the wrong system. We're letting our needs be met outside of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen the darkness of the culture and the danger that it is for the believer. But here's where I'm really going to share my heart. I'll be a little bit personal, but I trust it'll help. I failed to go back to the text there when I got to the danger. It says there in verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, 
but Christ Jesus the Lord. The problem is ourselves. But I want us to see here, verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. You see, we're talking about light, understanding, a real relationship, knowing the truth, knowing Jesus. For the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. My friends, that's what happened when you got saved. And friend, if you're here and are not saved, the greatest thing in the world is to let the light of the good news come into your heart. Jesus loves you. He'll save you this morning if you'll trust him. But folks, he wants to have a personal relationship with us. That's what this verse says. He shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Can you live life without personally knowing Christ for a day? Can you think a day is good without fellowship with Jesus? I mean, personal, real fellowship. Now, I know right here we have a little bit of trouble trying to figure that out. That's why, the, the, the reason why is because we look at experience from our soulish mind, will, and emotions. You are a spirit. You were saved. Your regeneration took place in your spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in your spirit. Your body will die, but your spirit will go to heaven. It is in your innermost spirit that Jesus will be revealed by the Spirit of God and you can have a spiritual relationship that is as real as any relationship that you have on this earth. Now, friend, if you don't quite understand what I'm saying... You need to say, I better find this out. I better know what it means to walk with God. Not to just agree with a set of theology, though that's critical. There is a personal life that you need to seek. The Lord said, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. We've got to get to a place where we cannot live without him any longer. That's what happened in the Hebrides, Lewis awakening. There were some people that cried out for God and, and just would not leave their prayer meetings until, until God broke through and dealt with their self-centeredness and helped them awake to a reality of who he was. And God fell on them and changed them. I'm going to give you an illustration how God in my early days really helped me. Typical college graduate, seminary graduate, came in to help my father. And uh, so much self-dependence in those days. We had a school camp. It was the very first school camp at the camp near us. And my dad asked me to be the preacher. I'd just taken over the youth group. That wasn't my plan. I was his associate. And I was really not too happy. I didn't see myself doing that. But, of course, I was under my father. I was sick when I came into the school camp. Wisconsin, unfortunately, in September can't, is not always warm. It was cool and rainy. And the Lord just revealed to me the self that I had. We had about, oh, 200 uh, high schoolers. And, it, and we were a smaller church there. It was my dad's church. And it was that day when everybody went to the Christian school. It was more like a public school, Christianized. A lot of unsaved kids there. Long story short, first three days, I just didn't, uh, I just didn't do well. 
God's presence wasn't there. It was humiliating. And then God began to break through. You see, it's personal revival before you have revival. And I went out on the dock. It was a mist, cold, and I was sick, but I didn't care. I had to get away. I was so sick of myself, I couldn't stand it. I didn't love those kids. I loved me. I realized that I was doing the ministry with still wrong concepts of what life was about. And for several hours that afternoon, God met with me. I'm not talking about some experience. He met with me in my heart, but it was real. And he broke me of myself, showed me my needs, and then gave me his love for those young people. I'm telling you, I walked into that service that night with the love of God that I didn't deserve to have. I preached for 12 minutes, and the power of God came on that service. That service went for hours. Eighty-plus young people came to know Christ as their Savior. Large groups of uh, young people gave their lives to the Lord, are serving as missionaries around the world. It wasn't my preaching. It had nothing to do with me, but I met Jesus and found out how me how much he loved those kids. I am so thankful for that. Boy, the next night, we had parents driving up. The place was packed, and our church nearly doubled in the next couple of years. We did have a touch of revival. But where did it start? In some kind of ethereal experience? God had to get a hold of me. I needed personal revival. And so, folks, could I say, could I challenge you to become desperate to know God? To quit being satisfied with the American dream? You know, I think it's time that we put, a, put aside our technology and all the distractions that it's causing. It is as addictive as heroin, according to studies from the armed services and many others. I won't take time to quote it. Many of you are aware of that. In fact, getting off of heavy use of technology for a young person is, is harder than opioid um, addiction. Try leaving your cell phone, turning it off for about two days. You'll, you'll go to pieces. I mean, it really, social networking and so forth. You know, there are a lot of other things. Folks, do we have to shop as much as we do? Do we need to run around as much as we do? Could I be really straightforward? Do we have to make as money as we do? And I'm all about doing well. First and foremost, folks, you need Jesus. Because this world needs Jesus. That's what it's all about. We need to get desperate. We need to say, Lord, rearrange my life. Brother Fong's aware of this. A couple of years ago, I challenged our church to take an hour with God in prayer every day. That will change your life. People had to throw out a lot of technology. They rearranged their priorities. But I'm telling you, it's changed things for a lot of people. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our life? See, folks, remember, there's no in-between. It's either... He's meeting my needs because I'm made for God and everything about me needs God to indwell me and direct me. And if I don't allow him, if I'm just living the life, yes, I'm glad I'm saved. Yes, I'm trying to be faithful. But we're really living according to the norms of most people around us. Then we're actually being influenced the other direction. And that's why Christians do the things that they do. 
Oh, we need a personal knowledge. I want you to see this. The face of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah twenty nine twelve. Then she, shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I'll hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me. When ye shall search for me with all of your heart. Another personal quick illustration. I'm going to need to finish here. About 15 years ago or less, I guess it was a little less, God had really been working for some years teaching us to pray in these different truths. And I went to a conference that had experienced some revival in Ireland. And I was a preacher on a night that uh, was supposed to preach on Romans 6, and I did. And it wasn't my preaching that caused this. But after that service, the entire group, which represented a number of churches in Ireland, we fell on our faces before God. And I'm telling you, we had a meeting for several hours with Jesus. And then the rest of the night, I couldn't sleep, and I just barely want to talk about it. And some of you have had those kinds of times God just met. You know, the more you meet with him, the less satisfied you can be with the normal life, because real living is Jesus. Spiritually, you know his face. My dad, who lived this way, would often say, I have seen the face of Jesus in the lives of others. When I get to heaven, when I look on his face, I'm going to say, I've seen him before. When I feel his touch, I will have, I'll know I've been touched like that before. When I hear his voice, I will have heard his voice before. How's that so? Because I've been with Christians who know the face of Jesus. And therefore, as verse 7 says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You see, this dark world needs light. The light needs to come out. And my friends, I see Jesus in some of you here today. And that encourages me. Your preacher knows what I'm talking about. Do you know him? Duncan Campbell, speaking of the Lewis Revival, said, But in revival, when God the Holy Ghost comes, when the winds of heaven blow, suddenly the community becomes God-conscious. A God-realization, as in the case of this revival, 75% of those who were saved were saved before they ever got to the meeting. It's powerful when Jesus is in control of enough lives. Heritage Baptist Church, could we seek God these few days? Could we ask God to give us a holy desperation? Could we come to the place where I can't live unless I know you, Lord? There's no reason to live. And he's going to say, I'll honor that prayer. Draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. Let's bow for prayer. 
we bow before the Lord here, before I turn it over to your pastor. How many of you that raised your hand that you know you're saved, you know you're indwelt by the Spirit, would say, Pastor Van Gelderen, I know I need personal revival. I need to know Christ far more than I do. This needs to be the dominating reality of my life. I am not making him first priority. And I'd have to admit, I do things that just other people do. That Jesus and his reality is not the thing that dominates the most. And I realize that great things could be done if we would just let him work through us. But I need to see the face of Jesus. I need the presence of God in my life. I know he's there. But I need new I need life again, revival. And I'm willing to admit that I have a need and I am by the upraised hand asking God to make me desperate for his presence. He is worthy. I must love him with all of my heart. I need help. We all need help, but the grace of God is there to do it. So with no one looking around, if that's your heart cry, I will certainly pray for you. Would you join me in slipping my hand up here at this time? I need God. I am crying out for the presence of God. I need my life to be filled with that reality. I want personal revival. God bless you. You may put your hands down. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not certain I've ever had the life of Christ. I'm not certain if I were to die that I would have eternal life. And God stirred my heart. I saw those people get baptized, giving testimony they knew. Would you pray for me? I need Jesus here today. I acknowledge it. I'm going to join these others that raise their hand. Would you just slip your hand up? We'll pray for you also. Anyone like that across the auditorium? I need God here today. Would you pray for me? Lord, would you work in hearts? Thank you for these dear folks. And I pray that you will work in every life of the hand, of, that were demonstrated. The, the heart for you is demonstrated by the upraised hand. Now, Lord, you're, you're able to do it. You're able to break through. You're able to deal with our hearts. Would you do a mighty work in these days in each of those lives and others, Lord, who are responding to you? I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.